Chapter 24 Control Tower. Who is really in control of your control tower? The Nesiva Shalom says, Kizutachlis Yehudai Shal Adam Yisrael, Lihiyais Ben Chayrin. The ultimate goal and purpose of a Yiddish person is to be completely free. Hashem created a world and gave you the choice to be free or to be chained down. The Gemara says, Amar Abavdimi Bachama Bachasa. When Hashem gave us the Torah, He lifted a mountain over us and proclaimed, If you accept the Torah, that's great. However, if you don't accept the Torah, then Shum over there, Teheik Furaschem, shall be your burial place. Harav Avram Shor brings down Halekach Valibov the following question. If the mountain was being held right above the people, then why does it say that if they didn't accept the Torah, Shum over there will be your burial place? It should have said that if you don't accept the Torah, then Pai right here will be your burial place. Also, we can ask some other questions ourselves. Does it really make sense that Hashem threatened us that if we don't accept the Torah, He will actually drop a mountain on us and kill all of us? What kind of cure of approach is that? Can you imagine if we started using tactics like that to get people to accept Torah life? Let's bring an example to prove the point. Do or die. The new Kirov organization made a fun Simchas Torah celebration on a college campus. They got all the Jewish students to come over and dance with the Torah. It was a real celebration. After all the dancing was over, the rabbi in charge gathered all of the students into a room and spoke to them about the beauty of Yiddishkeit. When he was done, he made them an offer. Sign up now and completely accept the Torah way of life. Or, I'll lock you in this room and blow up the building. Question number three. Why the violence? I mean, didn't we already say Nasa Benishma? We will do and we will listen. We already agreed to happily accept the Torah. So why did Hashem have to threaten us? Let's review the three questions. Number one, why does it say that if we don't accept the Torah, over there will be our burial place? It should say over here. Number two, why did Hashem threaten us and say, hey, if you don't accept the Torah, I'm going to blow you up, kill you, drop mountains on you? That sounds a little bit extreme. Number three, we already accepted the Torah. We already said Nasev and Ishma. So why have to threaten us when we are actually excited to happily accept the Torah? Harav Avram Shur Shlita answers, When Hashem gave us the Torah, He lifted the mountain over us to create a spiritual force field that sheltered us from the rest of the world. The message was, As long as we place ourselves under the influence of the Holy Torah, the Torah will be a protective shield that will shelter us from all of the negative influences of the outside world. The Gemara teaches us that Hashem told us, My son, I am the one who created the evil inclination within you, and I also created the antidote to it, the Holy Tyra. If you toil in Tyra, you will not be controlled by the powers of evil. However, if you do not toil in the Holy Tyra, you will find yourself in the grip of the powers of evil.
The lifting of the mountain was not a threat. Rather, it was a fact. It was a message from Hashem who showed us very clearly that as long as we stay under the protective shield of the Torah, by living a true Torah life and conforming to its guidelines, the Torah will protect us from spiritual illness and destruction. However, if we leave the protective shield of the Torah, then Sham, over there, out there, on those schmutzy, filthy, and disgusting streets where you are vulnerable to the spiritually contaminated world, over there will be your spiritual burial place. The more we step out of the protective shield of the Torah life, the more susceptible we are to psychological and spiritual diseases from the contaminated atmosphere of the society around us. As the Mesilis Yisharim says, Everyone can understand that if the master of the universe created only one remedy, the Torah, that could possibly treat this disease, the Sahara, then it is impossible to cure this disease any other way. Anyone who thinks that he can try some kind of alternative approach to this disease is simply making a foolish mistake and one day will realize that he deceived himself and wasted his life trapped in the web of sin. The bottom line is, there is no possible way for you to successfully navigate the many difficult spiritual challenges you will encounter in your lifetime if you leave the protective shield of the Torah. Let's bring an example to prove the point. Enjoying the ride. Little Racheli was so excited to finally be big enough to experience a ride on the grown-up roller coaster. After waiting in line for over two hours, her turn finally came. She ran excitedly to the first available seat and jumped right into it. A worker came over to her and motioned that she needs to secure herself. Racheli couldn't figure out how to do it, so the worker took both sides of the heavy-duty seatbelt and pulled it over her shoulders until it was tightly squishing her stomach. And then the worker pushed down a metal bar deep into her stomach. Hey, what are you doing? This is so uncomfortable. How am I supposed to enjoy the ride? The worker answered, Silly girl, I'm just doing this to keep you safe so that you can really enjoy the ride. It's true that the seatbelt is very uncomfortable and the metal safety bar pushing against your stomach is truly annoying. But you know that without these restrictions... No matter how hard you try to hang on for dear life, you will eventually be thrown from the ride and, well, you know. See, those who are properly strapped in and restricted do not have to worry about getting hurt. And they are the ones that can truly enjoy the ride immensely as they fly through the air waving their hands. Whereas the ones who cannot accept the restrictions and remove the restraints, for him the ride will be nothing but terror and will surely end in misery. Authentic Yiddish Guide understands that life is very much like a roller coaster, with all kinds of sharp turns, crazy ups and downs, and unexpected drops. Torah life is the seatbelt. Sure, it's restrictive, but deep down you know that it's the only safe way to get through life, and even get to enjoy the ride. The Mishnah says in Avais, Amr Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi, Ein lecha ben chayrin, elamisha isik betalmatayra. There is no such a person in the world that is considered as free 
as someone who toils in Tyre. Now, at first glance, this statement may seem a little strange, for we know that every single aspect of Torah life is scrutinized and dictated. How to walk, how to talk, where to look, how to think, how to get dressed, and even how to cut your fingernails. This religion leaves no detail of life unrestricted. So let's think about this for a moment. Wouldn't the description of a free person more accurately describe the person who threw away all the rules and regulations of the restrictive Torah lifestyle? That person seems to be truly free to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and with anyone he wants to do it with. So why of all things does the Tana say that the only person who is really free is the Torah Jew? Maybe you're giving up freedom for something important. But aren't you really giving up freedom? Why would he say that the only freedom is the one who is enslaved to the Torah? So you must admit what you already know deep in your heart. True freedom is not the common superficial meaning that a person is free to do whatever he wants at any given time. Rather, true freedom is the ability to choose what is best for you and to follow through with it. A person with no inner strength or self-control is not free at all. And when faced with life choices, he can only choose the easiest way out, even if he believes that it is not the best thing for him. Why? Because he is stuck. He is bound. He is trapped. So it looks like he's free. But that's not true at all. Let's analyze this on a deeper level. Diet. If a person decides to restrict what he eats in order to lose weight or for health reasons, and instead of overcoming his urges, he goes around eating whatever he wants, he is not free. Yeah, he could put on a big smile and show off how much he can stuff himself with the wrong foods and be in complete denial over his situation, but the reality is that he simply does not have the self-control to actually do what he deep down knows is in his own best interest. Let's pick another example. Character. If someone has no control over his temper, he cannot choose how he will react, even if he knows that he could lose his job, his friendship, his marriage, etc. Nothing will be able to stop him from reacting with explosive anger. Yeah, he's certainly free to explode with anger, but he is not free to choose the best reaction for his own best interests in every situation. Let's pick another example. Culture. If a person can decide what he likes and what he does not like, and then based on his personal taste, he makes his purchases, we can say that that person has control and freedom over his life. However, if his style is dictated purely by society, people he never even met, to the extent that he even purchases things that he himself knows are ugly or overpriced, then he is actually a slave to the culture that took away his personal freedom of choice. He's not free. He's trapped. Let's pick another example. Desire. If a person cannot control himself to stop looking at something, doing something, or thinking thoughts that he himself believes are not good for him, then he has lost control over himself and he is a slave to the desire. He walks down the street like a dog with its tongue hanging out, (laughs) 
Whenever he sees something he likes, he exercises his lack of control and lack of freedom that compel him to chase it. He is in psychological chains that bind him. Not only is he not free, on the contrary, he is a slave. Do you know how many categories of species there are and how many there are in the world? Let's go through it. It's very interesting. Mammals. There are 5,490 types of mammals. Birds, 9,998. Reptiles, 9,084. Amphibians, 6,433. Fish. You know how many fish there are? There are 31,300 different species of fish. Insects, 1 million different types of insects. Spiders and scorpions, 102,248. And there are many other thousands of types of species of animals and mammals and different stuff that Hashem created. You know what the total is? 1,298,728 different species in the world. Hashem created over a million different species, but only one, the human, was given a unique gift, the power of self-control. Although the human has the same physical urges as every other animal, he has the God-given ability to use the power of self-control to control those animalistic urges. Therefore, number one, when you are in control of your animalistic urges, then you are living the human experience. However, if you are at the mercy of your animalistic urges, then you are living the life of an animal. Therefore, number two, to the degree that you have control over your own internal animalistic urges, you are experiencing life as a human. Therefore, number three, living life to the maximum of human life actually means having maximum control over yourself. The more control you have over yourself, the more human you are. Once you have the knowledge that something is not good for you, when temptation arrives, as it surely will, you have two ways to meet that challenge. You can either succumb to the temptation and fulfill your desire of the moment, like an animal, or you can upgrade out of the animal kingdom and act like a human and utilize your self-control, a gift given to you by God. If you succumb to the desire, you will indeed enjoy the temporary pleasure. However, it will be replaced by the glooming feeling that comes from the realization that you cannot control your own self and you are no better than the average cow. Whereas, if you refrain from the temptation, then you will feel permanent pleasure, satisfaction, and inner happiness that you will always be able to look back and be proud of. By restraining yourself, you build yourself to attain the maximum human experience. Let's say a person has high cholesterol and the doctor directs him not to eat his favorite food, Cajun French fries. If he succumbs to his urges, all he has is the temporary pleasure of eating Cajun French fries. However, if he would resist the temptation and control himself, he exercised self-control, thereby tapping into the immense pleasure of enjoying the maximum human experience that God gave him, which is the freedom to choose and control your own destiny. On one side is the urge, and on the other side is living the maximum human experience.
Let's bring an example to prove the point. The Real Thing, a true story. May 2008, little Srilly was only nine years old. Last week, he decided to stop drinking soda and to drink only water. Today, he came to me with a big smile. I feel so good. I asked him why. And he told me, because I opened the fridge and I saw Coke. I wanted it so badly, but I said to myself, no, and I didn't take it. And now I feel so good. Little nine-year-old Srilly didn't understand why he felt so good. I explained to him that he just learned a very valuable lesson that most people don't learn until they're much, much older, unless they are listening to this book. A person feels internally good about controlling himself much more than whatever enjoyment he would have had from the temptation. The greater the temptation, the better you will feel about yourself after you control yourself. By learning how to control yourself, even with regard to small insignificant challenges, you thereby strengthen your ability to control yourself. It makes that muscle stronger, and this prepares you to succeed with even more difficult challenges. So you feel good about what you have done, and you help build up your inner self-control, which will help you win more battles over your future desires, which will bring you even more pleasure. As you become a person with self-control, it's an unvicious cycle, perhaps the first one of its kind. Authentic Yiddishkeit believes that self-control is the epitome of achieving the highest level of living, the human experience, and will give you the most satisfaction you can have in your lifetime. Want to really enjoy your life? Utilize self-control. So what are you, a slave or a king? The Chassam Sofer says in Mesechtas Psachim, the word Melech, king, is spelled Mem, then Lamed, and then Chaf. This hints at the proper chain of command within a healthy person, and that's why he's a king because he's a king over himself. A person's mind, Mem is Mayach, which is your mind, needs to first be there, and then your Mayach, your mind, controls Lamed, which means your lave, your heart, that controls your emotions, and then your emotions need to control Chaf, Kaved, your liver, which the Holy Sfarim say is the source of a person's Tivus desires. Such a person who first goes from Mem, his mind, to Lamed, his heart, and then to Kaved, that level of control, that person is a king, a Melech, over his own life. However, if a person's desire, his Chaf, controls his emotion, his Lamed, and then his emotion is controlling his mind, then he's the opposite of a Melech, a king, who has control over his personal empire. This useless shmagegi has now become a slave who cannot even control his own self. Let's bring an example to prove the point. Magnetic pull. This is a true text conversation between a father and his 15-year-old son. Hi, Dad. I bought a belt. It's very nice, but it's not me. In parentheses, it's a fake Ferragamo. Personally, I don't need it or even want it, but there's still something pulling me. My friends are all wearing the stuff. I don't feel left out, but I just want to fit in. What you think? Dad responded, Hi, I hear your struggle. 
In the end, you need to figure out what you want your life to be without anyone else influencing you. I love you either way. Daddy. The child responded, Thanks, Dad. Think I'm going to keep it. I have enough self-esteem to wear a fake one, and I want to try to wear it and see how it feels. This child trying to grow up was struggling with exactly what each one of us struggles with in many different ways on many different days. Based on what the Chassam Seifer taught us before, that there's such a thing as a melech, and melech is somebody whose mind controls his heart, and his heart controls his desires, now we can see a fascinating pshat. The Torah tells us that when Balak brought Bilam to curse Klal Yisrael, Bilam knew that in order to produce the maximum amount of disaster, he had to calculate the exact timing of his curse to be said at a specific moment that he knew that Hashem would be angry. Taisus asks, let's say even if Bilam somehow could have properly pinpointed that specific moment, what could he possibly say in one tiny second to sufficiently damage Klal Yisrael? Taisus answers, you know what word he said? He intended to say the word Kalim, which literally means destroy them. But on a deeper level, we can say Pshat, that he cursed the Yidin with one word, that one word that would unravel our mindset and lead us to total confusion and destruction. Incredibly, the order of the letters of the words Kalim is the opposite of Melech. It's Chaf, representing our desire that should control lave our emotion and then finally control Mem, our mind. The biggest possible curse is when the chain of command within us is reversed so that our desire controls our emotion that controls our mind. For this inverted chain of command disables us and creates an environment that we can never be able to survive as a pure and holy nation. We would still have our strength, but we wouldn't be able to use any of it properly. And now we can uncover a fascinating pshat that Arve Nachal brings down, that when it says that afterward Hashem turned around the curse of Bilam to a blessing, you know what it means? It means that Hashem actually flipped around the actual word from Kalim to Melech, ensuring that His holy nation would retain the proper chain of command. Authentic Yiddishkeit understands that only the person who has control over himself is truly free. He is the one who is free to pick any path that he believes is right, and then he is free to control himself, to stay on track, to accomplish whatever goals he sets for himself. Making decisions about your life and actually following through with them is living the ultimate human experience. The goal of a Torah Jew is to build up his inner strength in order to truly achieve true freedom to exercise control over his mind and body. Every time the Torah Jew exercises his freedom of choice, he flexes his psychological muscles and proves once again that he is in control. A person who follows his impulses and desires may think that the Torah Jew is nebuch, tied up by all the restrictions and lack of freedom to do whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it. However, the complete opposite is true. It is the one following his every impulse who has no inner freedom to choose to live a higher life for an elevated purpose. Can he control his language, 
his eyes, his mind? Does it require any psychological muscle and self-control to always pick the easiest choice and do whatever feels good? Is he really showing off his freedom? Or is he trapped and bound because he simply has no self-control? Let's bring an example to prove the point. Chaos in the sky. The incoming planes were ordered to circle around the command center until further notice. One by one, they entered the circle of planes as they followed the instructions given to them by air traffic control. <laughs> the teenagers who had hacked into the airport's computer system laughed hysterically as they heard the pilots frantically radioing the tower. Uh, come in, come in, come in, come in. What's going on here? Who's in charge of the control tower? Now it's time for you to ask yourself, if you are not defining and controlling your life, then who is? Who's in control of your control tower? And you'll go higher and higher.